and be seated. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, everyone. Well, I must say it is a, it was sure a blessed time of worship this morning. Oh, I pray that all our hearts were inspired. And um, one of the uh, things I love to do when I, when I worship the Lord is allowing the Word of God to journey through our mind. And it's, this, it's that truth, it's that rich truth that only exists because it's from God's Word. And you're tuning in with the, with the Lord God who loves us and who His Holy Spirit was sent to us as a, as a helper, peacemaker, and a comforter. And so, um, before we get started, I want to I bestow a blessing upon you, and may the Holy Spirit come upon all of you this morning, and that the Holy Spirit would intensify within your hearts, and that you would all be prepared to be transformed in the likeness of him who desires to do a good work in us, who is at work in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the portion of scripture that crossed my mind this morning as I was singing unto the Lord is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9 through 11. It says, the Lord has not destined us to wrath, but for obtaining salvation through Christ Jesus, our Lord, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another Build up one another, just as we are instructed to do. So may the Holy Spirit be magnified today. So let's get started. Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 46 to 52, he has placed himself along the roadside that's leading out of Jericho. Another daily begging routine all over again just like the previous day nothing new he's in a very stressful situation wondering if he's going to have enough coins by the end of the day maybe to even provide a meal for himself stress fear anxiety and panic attacks that's a stressful situation how long did he experience the worrisome thoughts is unknown, but it changed from that thought pattern to a pattern of curiosity anticipation. Why? Because it's the time of day that the Lord Jesus, his disciples, and a large crowd, they were leaving Jericho, walking in the same direction of where Bartimaeus had placed himself. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many people in the crowd told him to, sternly commanded him to be quiet. He cried out all the more. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stops. He said, bring him over to me. A few informed Bartimaeus says, hey, he's calling for you. He throws off his cloak. He jumps up. He doesn't get up. He jumps up, and he's brought over in the presence of Jesus. Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Does he ask him, what seems to be the problem? Or does he ask him, hey, how are we doing today anyways? No. The Lord Jesus, the one who does everything what he sees the Father doing, 
the one who sympathizes with all our weaknesses, tempted in all things just like we are, but yet without sin, who's the exact representation of the Father's nature, his, his glorious um, uh, radiance, and the one who upholds everything, creation by the word of his power, who holds his gaze in the eyes of Bartimaeus, his soul and his faith. And Bartimaeus finally breaks the silence and answers the question. Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. He slips back into silence. And now he's wondering, is this the Jesus who heals the paralytics, the demoniacs, the epileptics, and the disease? It must have felt like eternity. How long has he been waiting? Because this is not the first time that he's heard that this Jesus had, was doing such things. A blind man sitting every day begging and only deleting the things he really didn't want to, to hear. But is this story true that he's sitting there, that he didn't keep it on the side burner, but he kept it on the, on his, the burner he was sitting on? And then Jesus, he breaks his silence. And Jesus says, oh, well, go. Your faith has made you well. He immediately regains his sight. Now, you would think that's the only thing to focus on. Oh, no, there's other things going on, too. What about the bystanders? What's their reaction? I know how I would respond. I would probably respond, he did it again. How does he do that? All he says is, go, your faith has made you well. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I'd be, I'd be experiencing a triple A. I'd be amazed. I'd be astonished. I'd be standing there in awe. And just think, I I'm hanging out with this Jesus guy. But that's not the only crowd that we need to address. What about the stern commanders, the self-righteous ones that told Bartimaeus to S-H-U-T-U-P? Do you think it was a gentle rebuke? Absolutely not. Not when pride, arrogance, selfishness, self-ego uh, attitude, self-centeredness, Conceitedness runs in the veins of our flesh. They did not experience no triple A. They experienced a single A. It was a jaw-dropping awkward. When that miracle took place, they were put in their place. You might as well stamp those six sins on the bottom of their foot and ram it right in their mouth, open mouth, insert foot, and shut it. Slam it shut. Now, did the Lord Jesus give them a verbal rebuke? He did not. What does he do? He creates a distraction to establish an attraction to hold and direct their attention to what, who was not seen. But they couldn't see who was not seen because they were only looking at their own, through their own self-righteousness of picking on Bartimaeus. 
ridiculing him. It didn't take long to open mouth, insert foot. The eyes of Bartimaeus through faith. That's the kind of eyesight that the Lord is looking for. Ah, now's my opportunity. It wasn't only to heal Bartimaeus. Absolutely not. The Lord God, he planned this back in eternity beginning. He knew this was going to take place. This was for the benefit for the one who is unseen to be glorified. You see, Bartimaeus saw what was unseen. So, the Lord looks around. He sees that the Father's work is done. Now, no longer selfishness and empty conceit is present. Everybody seems to be coming on the same plane. Everyone's considering one another a little bit more important than themselves. Time to go. The Lord Jesus, his disciples, and the crowd, they do an about face, and they continue leaving Jericho. As for the foot hoppers, now they're trailing behind Jesus. They can't keep up. Bartimaeus, he's inspired. He's got a new lease on life. He's full of ambition, enthusiasm. He can fend for himself. I can become a carpenter, a tent maker, a fisherman. He does a, hunt, he does a U-turn. He, he, begins to, he starts following Jesus. He catches up with the foot hoppers, and he looks at them, and he says, Fellas, don't worry about it. I don't hold that against you. I, I forgive you. Come on, pull your foot of your embarrassment and your self-pity out of your mouth. We got to find out who this Jesus is. And Bartimaeus takes off. <clears throat> the foothoppers look at each other. All of a sudden you hear, <laughs> their foot comes out of their mouth. They realize, they realize the edification that was just spoken into them. Now, let's, stop, let's pause here for a second. That's Jerome's parable, okay? <laughs> it's not according to Scripture. It's just the principles of God's Word that I want to emphasize on. Forgiveness, compassion, sympathy, understanding. You have to realize Bartimaeus, he just received this, his sight. How, for how long he was blind is unknown. But you can, you, can, you can understand or have an idea of what kind of joy he had in his mouth, in, <laughs> in his heart. <laughs> so he, he was well-equipped. But why was he well-equipped? Because the Lord spoke into his life. Not only did it affect his physical vessel, it also affected his inner man. He had, he was ah, decompressed. No more worry, conquer the world. He, was, he became an encourager. You see how it reciprocated back to the stern commanders? Now he's ministering to the foothoppers. But of course, they're no longer foothoppers. Mouth removed feet on the ground, and they headed on out. There's more to come. 
as you and I are standing on the trail that's leading out of Jericho, and we're looking at the crowd, they're leaving, they're fading away, who would understand faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ? That would be Bartimaeus. The Lord Jesus and Bartimaeus had something in common. But Bartimaeus was in the process of having the same eyesight as the Lord. What do you suppose would have occurred if it was heedful to the stern commanders? He would not have experienced the physical healing, and he would not be experiencing peace within his soul. But there was a way he acquired that. He acquired it by applying three different principles of silence. Number one, he applied the audible silence. The audible silence was applied when he slipped it back into silence, waiting for the Lord's reply. He threaded the virtue of patience through that silence, feeling like it was eternity. The second principle is this. The silencing of the demonic forces of darkness, and this is where he ignored, disregarded the stern commanders of being told to S-H-U-T-U-P. The third principle is that being aware of the results if he chose the avenue of silence. Had he chosen that, tomorrow would be another day of begging, and the next day, and the next day. The title of my message today is The Strength of Silence. I'm not talking about the silence that we take time when we spend time with the Lord. I'm not talking about quiet time. I'm talking about the type of silence that the Lord gives us, we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, to have that strength, that authority, to exercise the silencing of the realm where we cannot see and also the realm that we live here in this broken world. That's the silence that we need to address. Even in this message today, more than likely, you probably won't experience an offense. There's also different types of conversations. There are casual conversations, humorous conversations, sincere conversations, instructional ones, and also strictly listening ones or strictly venting ones. Those type of conversations usually don't inflict an offense on us at all. Bartimaeus wasn't offended. But there's one type of conversation that can really intensify an emotional atmosphere. And that is in the conversation when we have our opinions brought on the table that say, I'm right. I hear what you're saying, but, and unfortunately, we don't really see what's taking place because there is something that takes, is so natural to us, and it's the only sin that you and I cannot see. Pride. No, 
Well, it is. It's pride. And did you know that good intentions, along with our opinions, they, they, come, they come with good intentions? Yeah, but I, I meant well. But what's the attitude of spirit that we send? This breastplate of righteousness that we wear is the largest piece. Did you know that covers? I, I thought about this. You know, as a carpenter, I think of square footage, how much carpet do we need, or lumber, stuff like that. And I, I'm looking at this breastplate of light righteousness. I say, my goodness, this is the largest piece of armor that we wear. And it's the only piece of armor that we are capable and qualified to change. And all you got to do is add that four-letter word, self. Self-righteousness. And it gets us in trouble every single time. Mm, boy, that hurts. Well, yeah, it hurts here. Uh-oh, but wait a minute. What about the hurt that we may be inflicting on another? Ooh, that hurts. Andrew Murray, who was a pastor in Africa in the second half of the 1800s, he wrote in his book, Humility. This is what he writes about pride. This is the warning he gives. Let us, at the commencement of our meditation, admit that there is nothing so natural to man, nothing so insidious and hidden from our sight, and nothing as difficult and dangerous as pride. And I'm sure you will agree with me when I come out and make this statement. We see the pride in one another. Oh, that's right. That's called judging. Oh, there I go again. That's right. I, I can be judged the same way too. Mm. Oh, okay. Wrong silence. <laughs> it's so easy to get stuck in that. In a situation like that, what is good, what is a good thread to allow to always be within our soul before that takes place? The same question that the Lord Jesus asked Bartimaeus. What can I do for you? And that when we look out and not in, like the foothoppers, when we look out, we give that undivided attention. The demonstration of silence I displayed for you this morning was different, wasn't it? I decided to pull you out of the routine of what we normally hear on Sunday mornings. Pastor comes up. We sit comfortable, comfortably in our chairs. Ah, okay, well, let's see what the Lord has to say to us today. Is that a serious question? Do we become complacent? And I'm talking to this guy first, and then I share with you. These messages I share is only because I've been through these storms of life. The Lord said, Jerome. Oh, and that's another thing I like to do. I like doing sound effects. Ask my wife, because I crack her up all the time at home. You see how captivating it is? You're probably wondering what I'm going to say, huh? Well, I was too, because I'm waiting on the Lord. <laughs> 
But the other thing I want to implement here too is what it says in Proverbs chapter 17, 22. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Laughter is good for the soul. We need to learn to laugh at our weaknesses, our mistakes, so that these endorphins can kick in just the way the Lord God created us. The Lord is sending a message to us. You have yourself a good time. You know why? Because you're free in Christ. You're free in my son. Make all the mistakes you want. That's okay. I forgive you. Isn't that the message that we need to exercise in this dimension of existence? Just like Bartimaeus forgave those foot hoppers? Well, of course. But now, silence that I exercised this morning was not your typical beginning of a message. But what happened when I had eye contact with you? Oh boy, when you have eye contact with an individual, you are the person at that moment. Just like the Lord Jesus held his gaze in the eyes of Bartimaeus. But yet, the Lord still, his peripheral vision of eternity still sees everything in line, everything's taking place, and that's just the way he zeroes in on you. Isn't, isn't that a fascinating God we have? And he, he gave us all, all this to know about him? And if this is just a fraction, and we can't completely understand it all, but yet it always it always draws us back. And you know why it draws us back? That's an indication that the Holy Spirit is working in your hearts. See, the Lord doesn't give up. He knows what's going on. And the thing is, he wants us to know what's going on. In Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2, it says, it is the Lord's glory to, to conceal a matter. It is a king's glory or a Christian's glory to search out a matter, a matter. Meaning that the Lord's God says, okay, if you want to know about me, you come and search for me. I'm here. I'm the one who's consistent. And so these are the principles and the truths that he wants us to lay within our hearts in order so that we can practice the principles of silence. To know that our security is in him alone. Not my own efforts and not yours. It is a surrender to consider an other more important than ourselves. And so, getting back to the opinions of ours, there's a whole lot, more di whole lot different between opinions and insight. Opinions comes from self, own evaluation, pride, sometimes self-centeredness, selfishness, and um, uh, manipulation, deceit. Manipulation. That is what gives support to manipulation, is deceit, lies, self-centeredness. Ah, but listen to what it says in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 20, 21. The wise in heart will be called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. That's a sign of humility. Listen to what Andrew Murray says once again about humility. Humility 
is the soil which God's grace takes root. The lack of humility is the sufficient explanation of every defect and failure. Humility is not so much a virtue among others. Humility is the virtue of all. Why? Because it takes on the right attitude before God so that he, as God, can do all. Not you. Not me. And the Lord's saying to us, decompress, rest in me, apply those three principles of silence, the audible silence, silencing of the demonic forces of darkness, and being aware of the results of your silence. There's a time to be assertive and a time not to be assertive. It is good. You know why it's good? Because it gives the chance, the Holy, the Holy Spirit, a chance to reveal to us of what he wants us to know, to be equipped. And if you don't know what to say, the most important, powerful statement that you can say to another is, I hear what you're saying. Give me some time to think about it. That is the most powerful statement you can say. Do you know why? Because it prevents the silent treatment. It's, it's the silence of revenge towards your, towards your spouse, towards a brother or sister in Christ. Oh, th this little item in our mouths, either it's going to come from the vein of pride or the vein of humility. And you know what's really neat about God? God is just pure, perfect humility. God doesn't have to be proud. Not at all. Take on, taking on his divine nature. And the Holy Spirit, that's what he does. The Lord is awesome. The more we decrease, the more he increases. The more we're silent, the more he speaks. Have you ever tried, when, have you ever conversed with someone and both of you kind of get excited and you, now you're talking at the same time and you're really not hearing, anyone, hearing one another? Well, for me to understand that so simple, you know, with a simple mind that I have, the Lord says, Jerome, I heard you 12 years ago. I heard you. It's going to take time. You have to, we have to thread that patience through the silence of what we ask the Lord to do. Is it that we should stop asking? No, but to, within reason. And sometimes we need now to exercise that spiritual silence for the Holy Spirit to give us that revelation. That's what he does. And in these type of the kind of conversation in regards to our opinions coming on the, on the table, this is what we have to be on guard about. Okay, is this Jerome's wisdom or Jerome's opinion, or is it God's wisdom? And the test between my wife and I, that's a big test for me. Okay? It's not easy. Why do you think I'm sharing this message? Because I go through it myself. <laughs> Am I improving? Well, of course I'm improving. 
but the Lord has a lot more work to do in me. But you see, had you, had you known me 20 years ago, I wouldn't be chuckling about this right now before you. i say, no, this is me. The Lord's healing this broken man, and I've, I'm in the process of improving, and here I am, Lord. Um, uh, I said, okay, Lord, I, I'm sharing with, sharing with these people here. I said, okay, y- you have at it, not me. I just, I just want to be a mouthpiece for you. But I also personally have to be careful that when I demonstrated that silence for you, I made sure that the, the word control and power was nowhere near to be found. Word or control and power should be as far from us as the east is from the west. The moment that we use our, make use of our opinions, we try to be in power and control. However, but when the word of God is used, this is what the Holy Spirit has made known to me, brother or sister in Christ or spouse. This is what I gather from his word. Coming on the wings of humility, considering the other as more important than myself, listening to what it says in Proverbs 13.10, through strife comes nothing, or through presumption comes nothing but strife, but wisdom comes with those who receive counsel. Did you hear that? That when you listen to the other and really consider what he or she says, okay, I hear what you're saying. I don't quite agree with you now, but give me some time to think about it. And that's what I have to say to my wife every once in a while. My wife is a fast thinker. I'm in slow motion, okay? I don't know if there's anything wrong with my brain or it just takes me a longer time to process. My wife has that gift of looking far down the road, and I look at her, look at her, how can you see that so quick? It's a gift. Or maybe she's a woman who, may, I don't know. <laughs> I had four women in the house. It felt like 40 when I was raising my daughters, okay? Oh, mercy me. <laughs> the strength of silence. Boy, does the Lord have a good sense of humor or what? He cracks me up. I said, okay, Lord, keep, keep it coming. But not so hard, though. Okay. So getting back to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 21. The wise in heart will be called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Persuasion with humility presents authority. No power and no control. It's, it's the way that God's nature works, that when we're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, it draws us to the authority of Christ. Okay? Persuasion is based with truth and righteousness, based on, on, on humility and the authority of God. Manipulation, again, deceit and lies, self-gain. Very important. And, and believe it or not, those three principles of which I have shared with you, they cover quite an area. And so lately, I too have been practicing this. And it has improved my communication. And not only that, the rewarding thing is the Holy Spirit. Ah, oh, now, Jerome, now you're wide open. There you go. And he'll, 
And I know all of you have experienced that. But sometimes, sometimes it's good to follow some principles. It has been mentioned in the Christian realm, well, just because you do A, B, C, and D, and E, that'll work. Not all the time. But I found in my own personal walk, in this, these three principles of silence, it has helped me tremendously to be more sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and giving me revelation. And I, I can't explain to you on how many moments of, aha, wow. The more I realized that, the more I had to get out of the way. Why are these principles so important? Is to prevent offensive pop-ups within your soul, to prevent broken relationships, to eliminate bitterness and resentment. And if those, those, if those microscopic offenses are not dealt with and resolved, what happens through time is that those offenses slowly pile up underneath the carpets of our hearts. And they go offense after offense after offense. And so now the pile becomes so high that through time, it's too difficult to resolve them all at once. And now the lens of bitterness and resentment have overtaken you. But yet you're still a Christian. But the strongholds have slowly and subtly grabbed a hold of the portion of that being of ours. And now it seems like a helpless situation, but it is not. Depends the choice that we make. That's what it boils down to. It's that free will. And that question now, not that the Lord sends the question, what do you want me to do for you? Now the question is, what will you do about it? What will you do about it? Will you make the right choice? The choices of these principles of silence are so vitally important. They're excellent tools. Is there, is there any, anyone who demonstrates these principles of silence in perfection? Well, of course, the Lord. I want to take you to a portion of Scripture where the Lord Jesus, he's under a great deal of pressure. I want you to turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 27, verses 11 through 14. Now, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he made no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge, so that the governor was quite amazed. Do you notice how the Lord Jesus 
answered Pilate? Jesus says, it is as you say. But the confrontation was not with Pilate. It was with the adversary. The one whom we cannot see, but the Lord Jesus being aware of the spiritual realm, the forces of darkness, it was another confrontation that the adversary used against the Lord Jesus. And it was very important how he answered the adversary. Had he said yes, then he would have fallen under subjection of the enemy and he would have been deceived. But no, what does the Lord Jesus do? He reciprocates it right back to him. You said it because nothing changed ever since you've been cast out of the kingdom. It still stands. End of discussion. That's his audible silence. But where's the third principle? I didn't see it. It doesn't come right out and say, he said something, he, he replied, then he chose silence. He had us in mind. There's the awareness of, of the results had he been silent. The Lord Jesus doesn't answer to human authority. If you do recall what Brother Veach had shared in his message a few weeks ago, I said, oh, that's right. And neither does he answer to the adversary. He just reciprocates it right back to him. I know your deceitfulness, and that's no part of me. That's the example that the Lord God sets. The thing we have to be careful for in marriage relationships, relationships within the brethren, even in the secular field, it is not against one another. We all have to be on guard. How are we going to allow the Lord to use us for healthier communication to prevent the offenses that we may inflict on one another? As it says in, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning with verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. My qualm, if we had a disagreement, it's not against one another. It's against the ideas that the adversary will use to twist and reciprocate and misunderstand and everything else. That's what he tries to do. This is the power of the tongue from the vein of pride or the vein of humility. Getting back to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 23. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. It's not only what we say, it's also how we say it. Big difference. Huge difference. Our words should be coming out like a song, soothing to the soul. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, there is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, and we all have used words like that. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. It also says in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 14, it says, a man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his words, and the deeds of a man's hands will return back to him. Would you like to have good fruit or decayed fruit? I don't even like the smell of decayed fruit. I says, okay. So that's given us a responsibility of how we use our tongue. 
the three principles of silence. And boy, brothers, brothers and sisters in Christ, I, uh, you can ask my wife. You, you have that freedom to ask her the progress I have made in that particular area. I, and it, it was so simple, and it just, the light just finally turned on. I said, man, oh man, all these years, the four women in the house, how much easier it would have been? <laughs> yeah. Not only what we say, how we say it, but when we say it. A man will have joy in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. If you don't know what to say, let me think about it. I will get back to you. So, to wrap it up, what would be a good verse? I thought about it. I said, well, I think, I think a good verse would be Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Pretty captivating again, isn't it? Does it kind of bring a comfort to your soul? Does mine? Do we have to say as much as we think we do? Not really. There's, there's a sense of restfulness, a decompression. That, yeah, just like the Lord Jesus. Discussion was over with. No need to debate because the Lord, he doesn't debate. He ministers. His Holy Spirit says to you, this is what I want to make known to you. And we should be all ears with wisdom and a submission and the three principles of silence. The audible silence, the silencing of the demonic forces of darkness, and being aware of the results of our silence. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for the truth of your word and how you love us so much, God. Your Holy Spirit is here. You're always working on us, Father. And Lord, that we would, you would always draw us closer and that we would increase our submissiveness to you so that you can do the work, not us. Help us to choose the avenue of humil humility and to trust you in all that we do. And deliver us, Father, for any, any weaknesses that we may have in regards to what you have placed upon our hearts today. That you will teach us a new level of, of silence. We are a noisy generation, aren't we? Teach us. Draw us. That you be glorified in all that we do, in Jesus' name. Well, everyone, with all that being said, the Lord has placed upon your heart that he wants to do something in you and with you. I'd be more than glad to pray with you if you desire to do so. But you, you are dismissed. May, may you go out with blessings and a new strength and also a stronger awareness in those areas of what the Lord has made known to you. Be blessed.